0: Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close! Still short. Oh, two There he is. He's over!
1: Hey there, and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where two die-hard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive. So get involved. Get involved. Mitch, how's your week been, my friend?
0: Good week this week. Can't complain. Um, had a bit of a long weekend, which was nice. So, got to get out of Sydney Ooh. for a little while and um, got to watch some rugby as well. So, that was nice. Got to watch some Australian rugby, New Zealand rugby, American rugby. Yeah, it was good. It was a good weekend. Can't complain. Did you complain. watch some of the
1: MLA, MLR stuff? Did I you watch did. the Guantini, yeah, by any chance? I watched
0: a little bit of them. Yeah. Inter- very How was interesting. It? Good. Yeah, very good. I was actually surprised at how many Australians are over there. There was more than yeah. I initially thought. I knew they had Adam Ashley Cooper and Matt Gitto and um, Angus Cottrell and a few other guys. But yeah, there was a few Billy Gordon, Meigs, Dave, Dave Dennis. Yeah, Billy Milks, yep. Dave Dennis as well. Yeah, there's a few um, Gordon players from last year that popped up as well that have followed Darren Coleman over there. So yeah, I was um, very interested to see how they would go. And they ended up winning it quite comfortably. But at halftime, they were only ahead by like seven points or something. So Mm -hmm. A little bit tight there, but no, they did
1: well. If people want to catch the MLR, where did you watch it on?
0: There's an app. So Google the Rugby Network. It's a free app. You just have to sign up and it's all on there. They they broadcast all of the games. They've got a lot of other content as well, some documentaries from Rugby Pass. So I think they're in partnership with them. Um, But really, really worthwhile getting behind it and, and just you can watch all the rugby action for free on that. It's awesome.
1: Absolutely brilliant. Well, why don't you take us through our social platforms? Um, by the way, I, sh- I should introduce myself for those. Maybe it's your first time listening to the pod. I'm Ando, Ando Anderson, and with me is my fantastic host, Mitch Foster. So welcome. If you haven't, if this is the first time joining us, but we've got a lot of fun stuff to go through. Mitch, hit up our socials.
0: All right. We're on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. We're on Facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast page. And we're also on Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. So give us a tweet and a follow on all of those platforms.
1: Brilliant. The Super Brew Yellow Cap this week for our tipping competition is Dutchy. So congratulations, mate, for being the top ranked. Although I'm having a look right now, mate, on the round five, and it's her red at the top. Have you put the wrong name in?
0: I don't believe so. I think he okay. got the yellow cap,
1: but her red is sitting. Uh, yes, I'm yep. sorry. I'm sorry I ever doubted you, Mitch. I'm sorry I ever doubted you. There's a you. reason so... that I'm the captain of the pool and not you, Ando.
0: <laughs> There's a reason.
1: Mate, both of us suck and are not <laughs> high up on a ladder at all, so uh, <laughs> let's not talk about that one too much. But tonight, we are doing some really cool stuff. We're, first, we're going to be hitting up some of the spicy, spicy news from the domestic and international scene. We're then, as always, going to go through our round five review before we move to the locker room where we get our fan questions and then do a very brief round six preview. I think that's it for the kind of intro. Are you ready to head on spicy news? Let's go to the spicy news. Let's go.
0: Time for the spicy news now, and we'll try and keep this segment sharp and sharp. So we'll start with the domestic side of things. And this weekend saw Greg Holmes chalk up his 150th Super Rugby game for the Western Force in brisbane massive massive congratulations to greg holmes and it's not we don't see a lot of players get to 150 super rugby games so that was pretty cool to see any
1: thoughts around that ando yeah, it's really interesting because he's a bit of a forgotten figure within kind of Australian rugby just because he spent a couple of seasons off uh, with Exeter over in the English Premiership. And yet he was one of the mainstays of that 2015 World Cup uh, front row. He was just fantastic for the Wolbies. And he kind of came out of nowhere in the international sense, but did really, really well when he got his chances at an international level a bit later on in his career. So I just love everything he does. He's just a tough front rower who loves scrums and we need more of them in Australian rugby people who just all love to get involved in a scrum and so huge congratulations love watching him play and hope he gets many more caps to add to that to that total
0: and you can't you can't write a better story for him he made 144 of those caps for Queensland and he's made those last few for the Western Force um, and now he gets to he got his cap 150th cap at Suncorp Stadium against the Reds. So how good? Can't get any better than that in front of his home, Brilliant. his fa- friends and family as well. Um, awesome. So we'll move on to the next one. East Tigers beat Gordon in the Australian Challenge Cup over the weekend. Now, this was a very, very tight game. Uh, final score was 14 to 13, and Easts ended up kicking a penalty right on full time to win the game. Not sure if you got to catch any of this one, Ando. No, didn't get to, unfortunately, yourself? Yeah, I did. I got to catch probably the most most of the second half. Um, It was a really good challenge. Gordon were doing really well. They were leading quite comfortably for the majority of that second half. Um, And then East just kept kicking penalties and staying within touch. And at the very end of the game, they got that penalty right in front to win. So very unfortunate for Gordon, but great result for East Tigers. They were the home team. And it was our first kind of foray into club rugby with the new stand product. And I was, I've got to say, I was impressed with what I saw so far. They had the same commentary team of um, Sean Maloney, Drew Mitchell and Tim Horan calling this game as the Super Rugby game later that night in, in Brisbane at Suncorp Stadium. So good to see that continuity flowing across. And it was a really interesting game. There has been a few there has been a few points that have come out around the sort of validity of this competition and I don't know if you, if you know too much about this game in general but the idea is that the winner of shoot shield plays the winner of the hospital cup in Queensland now it normally gets played at this time of year at the f- sort of pre-season um, of of the the next year. So last year's winners of both Mm -hmm. competitions Mm -hmm. play this year. Now there has been some debate around whether we should be playing it at this time, because if you look at both teams, they've both got new coaches and they've majority of the players that were in the finals for both of those teams aren't playing in this competition or this tournament this year. So um, two very different sides. And a lot of people are saying, maybe we should be playing it a week or two after the respective finals at the end of the year, instead of playing at the beginning of the next year. Um, Interesting thought. I don't know if we'll see that happen with all of the professional contracts and things happening and moving around and if we can get that to work and align, but definitely something to hopefully see. Agreed with everything you just said. Cool. We'll move on to the next one. Now, this was a bit of controversial earlier this week (laughs) when we put a tweet out around our thoughts on this one, but Isaac Rudder has signed with the Western Force. Um, He was in talks to sign with the Waratahs and that fell through. Uh, Ando, I'll let you start on this one. What are your thoughts?
1: I think uh, I'm a little bit chastened from putting our views out on Twitter about this one. You and I were pretty frustrated when this news dropped because as now long-suffering Waratahs fans, we were really, really hopeful that they would be able to land Rodder, who's new, who is New South Wales born and bred, uh, well, kind of, he's like far north coast, yeah. Um, but either way, he's still in New South Wales, and he, there was there were news articles, whispers, murmurs that he was going to be signing for the Waratahs. We desperately need quality. Um, quality second rowers. And then he goes and signs with the force. And this is just after they've had the signing of Sidalecki Tamani as well. He's on a short-term deal. They've got the signing of Jordan Olofella too. And they've just got this star studded squad of international players. So some quality homegrown talent as well, but then just these really must be expensive players coming in from around the world. And I just got frustrated in that moment because I just feel like the situation this season is that the Western Force haven't been as burdened by the, um, the financial situation that all the other super rugby clubs have had and particularly the Waratahs. And part of that is their own damn fault. I'm so getting that. Mm-hmm. but And part of it is the board's choice to not spend uh, up to the salary cap. But I just got super frustrated in that one moment where... This good player I thought was coming to the Tars Buggers off and goes over to the West Coast And good for them It is a good signing That he'll do well there And they're going to probably not have Jeremy Thrush And Sidoreki Tamani at the club next year That's my well, that's my we, guess
0: We don't know We, assume we don't know that stage. We assume
1: Yeah we assume, but then they've also got Tiemansky, Ryan McCauley is two pretty decent, exactly. um, second rowers as well. Um, and and anyway, anyway, so there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. I had a lot of feelings and thoughts at the time. Um, some Western Force fans kind of put me in my place, and I listened to it and I heard it. <laughs> um, but that still doesn't mean that I'm not salty about the whole situation. Yeah, look, I'm I'm a little bit sore
0: that he didn't sign with the Waratahs for how good it would be to see him play for us. But if I take a step back and just think of the whole Australian um, rugby environment and setup, I'm just a little bit salty that he signed back with Australian rugby so soon after he left and walked out. Um, I can understand how Reds fans would not be very happy at all considering he was one of those three players that turned his back on the pay cut and and applied his trade overseas. Um, I don't really think it's a good look for... Australian rugby to be bringing a player back like this so quickly, who was in the media, who did turn his back, um, did his own thing, kind of put his own value above the rest of the Australian rugby players at the time and thought he was worth more money than what Australian rugby was going to pay him, went overseas on a bigger deal, has come back a year later in time to play Super Rugby 2022 for the 2023 World Cup. It just looks really bad in in my book's. Um, he's he's a leader he's a more experienced player Um, that's assuming that he comes back in form and gets picked for the for the Wallabies moving into the World Cup I'm not saying he will I'm not saying he won't but there is some competition that's now coming in from other players from other teams for that position as well so yeah Yeah. a little bit um, big question marks there around it I won't Delve too much more into it. I think we've talked about it enough at the moment. Yeah. but I just want to I'll, say it's not it's not all us being salty Waratahs
1: fans saying, "Oh, we don't get him, so no one should get him." <laughs> no, and that's that's definitely not it. I I just wanted him in our team, and he wasn't, so I was upset. Um, <laughs> but the other thing, just just to quickly speak to that, and then let's move on. Some yep. of the points you were saying is, um, he it makes me think. I wonder if he had really bad management advice. At the time of the decision to go overseas because all three players had the same agent and you just wonder if he has regretted his decision to leave australian rugby and that is part of the reason why he's come back so soon and i just wonder if there is more to the story than what we have heard and what we know and maybe he isn't the pariah he isn't this kind of traitorous figure maybe he was a young man who made a bad decision on misguided advice and he's come to regret that and change maybe maybe i don't maybe. know i just i just wonder if we shouldn't be so harsh on him and maybe there'll be a tell interview we'll write a biography and we'll find out more about it then. i mean we could we could Look to be on that side as a
0: positive rugby podcast, but the other side too of that coin is that he has come back to Australian rugby, and there there hasn't been an announcement of how much he actually signed for with the Western Force. Now, some Western Force fans are saying that he didn't get any more going with the Force than he did if he signed with the uh, Melbourne Rebels or the Waratahs. The Melbourne Rebels and the Waratahs and all the other Super Rugby, Australian Super Rugby teams do have to. submit to the rugby Australian salary cap where currently the Western force don't have to. So we don't know if he did get more money to go and sign with the Western force. People are saying that he didn't, but if he did, I will just say it really, it looks foul again that he's putting money above sort of game time or um, commitment to Australian rugby. That's all I'm going to say on it though. I won't delve too much into it. Um, let's get off this topic because we're going on for a while. And the last point, is around the Waratahs have come out this week and said that we can look forward to a big off season for 2022 when they will be going on a spending spree and they will be looking to spend all of the cash that they have that they didn't spend in 2020 um, and hopefully can sign some big international players to come back and, and get experience back in the Waratahs for 2022. Ando, is this a little
1: bit too, too little, too late? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> great love it thank you now we'll move- no. <laughs> um i think it's uh papering over the cracks the cracks aren't that we didn't get one or two big name players he says after having a whinge that we don't get isaac rotter um but the the problems are development pathways the problems are a lack of continuity in a playing roster being able to pay two or three maybe better players to come we'll have a short term benefit maybe but it's not going to fix all the problems that are present within Tars. and i think to think otherwise is naive so yeah cool okay we'll have a bit more money great but will that actually fix any of the issues we have no will it maybe mean we can hold on to some of the better players who might be thinking of going elsewhere like your Jack Maddox, your Will Harrisons, your Angus Bells, all those guys that are actually good players who are probably having their careers damaged by playing for the Waratahs at the moment, will we be able to hold on to them? Maybe more so now that we have more money for the next season.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting one. For me, it's too little, too late. Um, we probably needed to spend that money last season and retain some of the players that did go overseas. So um, we could, we needed to keep players like, um, oh, I've just had my mind blank um, Ned Hannigan for one of them One, some of those players that were really up and coming Wallabies players little bit of angst around players, uh, fans whether they should be playing for the Wallabies yes or no but those are the players we should have been keeping at the time and seeing through the experience, we're now in a position this year where we're probably not going to win a game all year. There's some real questions coming forward around what the culture is of the club. And I think this whole Isaac rodder situation has gone to show that we can throw money at players, but they may not want to come to New South Wales now because of the environment that is currently there. These players are undercooked. So they're not as talented as they should be. Um, and there's just no culture at the club. So it may be a fact of we can't get anyone back, even if we want to pay them heaps of money.
1: It, yeah, it's definitely look, worrying. I think there's a lot to speak to this. Yep. Now, I've <laughs> got a quick question for otherwise. you before we move
0: on to the international <laughs> yeah. side, and that is around the Waratahs. So if they are saying that they've oh, got yeah. a lot of money to spend, if there is there a, an international player that you would pay big bucks for to come and bring to the Waratahs? Who would it be, Ando? Mm. Who would you be bringing back?
1: Izzy Falal. Really? Absolutely Ooh. not. No. <laughs> Without Israel Folau in a New South Wales Waratahs team, we will not win a game in 2022. You heard it in the soundbite. You I've just <laughs> no, absolutely not. I don't believe that at all and I don't think he should come back to Australian rugby. Um but I would probably be hitting up uh Rory Arnold.
0: Okay. A player that oh. I would really like to see come back to Australian rugby into the Waratahs who th- I think personally we may not even have to spend a lot of money to get him back, but would be Dave Dennis. So Dave Dennis has just signed on with the LA Guiltinis. When he was playing for yeah. the Warriors, he was the captain of the time in 2014 when we won the premiership. So he's a player who knows the culture. He knows... the the good culture that the Waratahs used to have. He's a very talismatic figure. He's been around the Waratahs for a while. He's got that experience now. He was playing sort of um, eight or six at the time. He's now playing four for the Guiltinis. So he's a very uh, flexible second rower slash back rower um i think it would be really smart for them to get a player like him back for next year just to give some experience to this uh this team maybe bring that culture back to the club that we don't currently have um and i'm not saying he's going to come back and play for the wallabies again but he could just finish his career playing for the waratahs again and come full three circle 360 full circle which i think would be pretty cool to see
1: yeah, I think the problem with that is he's going to be 36 next year. He's playing one season for the LA Giltinis. He's, he's been a bit part player Exeter Chiefs. He's basically been a part of the kind of European squad. So when the when the main squad isn't or main first 15 isn't required to play a really high stakes game, he'll come into the starting team or on a bench um, as a good squad player. I think he could be good for like a culture point of view as an older, older player coming in. I don't think he'd be someone you'd come in, bring into the squad to play every week.
0: No, definitely not. And that's what I think we're currently lacking, though. We have no culture. Um, but we'll see what happens. We'll see who they can manage to bring back and sign in the offseason. I'm not too optimistic, but we'll keep our fingers crossed. So if you move across to the international side of the news, um, Alan Gilpin has been appointed as the CEO of World Rugby. Uh, big big signing there. Um, I don't have too much more to chat around that. Do you have anything there, Andy?
1: No, happy to go on. Cool.
0: The women's rugby... The wi- World Rugby has come out in this last week and announced a global calendar for the women's game moving forward from... I think it starts in 2024, if I'm not mistaken.
1: The 2023.
0: 2023, okay. It's going to be after the World Cup, the next Women's World Cup. And-
1: it's basically, it's really, really cool. So what they're essentially setting up is a three-tier World 15 Global Competition, which begins in 2023 after the World Cup. So it's going to be three tiers. Um, tier one will have six teams. It's a cross pool format, all in a standalone location like in Australia, in America, and that'll swap year- on a yearly basis. Um, participating teams are the top three teams from the Women's Six Nations in Europe and then the top three teams of the regional tournament, which is being created, which will have Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and the USA, and um, a couple of other teams as well. Uh, and then each team will play three matches. There's no promotion or relegation for the first couple of years, and then the World 15 2. It's a second tier down that has another six teams. That's got some European. Um, the other teams from the competition will be a part of Then Asia and Africa. And then a the third 15 will be uh, other national teams as well. And so what it essentially is, is a promotional relegation system, which um, gives na- participating nations, uh, what's, what's the right word? Every single year, they will have guaranteed international quality games for the women's fifteen teams which is awesome because one of the big problems is the lack of test match games that the women's teams actually get to play. So this is remedying that is creating a competitive model, competitive program where there is promotion relegation eventually. And world rugby is investing 6.4 million pounds into it for the first couple of years. Um, The international 15s calendar on a global sense is going to be unified all all uh domestic competitions need to finish in order to enable these competitions to be able to run so it's what people have been wanting in the men's competition now for decades and the women's competition has been able to get a jump ahead and to go onto it probably because of the lack of the uh, self-interest from top clubs within europe who would be blocking any world 15 for the men's competition Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Um,
0: I guess the question will be: Do you see something like this eventually happening for the men's game?
1: I want something like this to happen, but I don't think it will. Mm. And the reason why I don't think it will is because of the power and the money that the French and British or the English Premier League clubs, Premiership clubs have. So the private ownership within those competitions (sighs) means that they. Like From from their perspective, it's justified that they have the self-interest of their clubs and their investments at hand, but in terms of the benefits to the broader game, it's not beneficial and I don't see it happening. I think it should, but I don't think it will. Cool. Well said. Uh, Exciting times and I look forward to seeing how the
0: Wallaroos can fare with more game time against more opposition. It's going to be great. Um, If we move across to America, so the MLR kicked off this weekend. We mentioned it earlier. That The Giltinis got their first victory, 42-27 over the New England uh, Free Jacks, I think they're called. Um, We'll quickly run across the results for this weekend as the inaugural one. We probably don't do this every single week, but just for the first one. Um, San Diego got beaten by New York, 36-29. Atlanta beat Toronto, 21-14. Houston beat Seattle, 30-24. And Utah edged Austin, 30-28. So some good rugby, definitely get uh, around the Rugby Network app. It's free. Just search it on the App Store, um, download it, it, give it, it can watch all of the MLR action for free. And there's some really good, interesting documentaries on there um, that were made by Rugby Pass as well. So definitely get behind that and see some of the Australian players going around over in um, the American system.
1: Brilliant. Well, the final piece of news that we have on the international scene is the Six Nations. So we've basically wrapped up the final weekend except for the playing of the France-Scotland match which was called off due to COVID issues from the French team. But basically at this point in time, you have Wales out on top with 20 points ahead of Ireland, France, Scotland, England and Italy. So Ireland and France are five points behind. If France beat Scotland with a bonus point win and get a plus twenty points average, or goal, uh, yeah, points difference. Then they can take the uh, they can take the number one spot and win the Six Nations. Um, but they need to have beaten Scotland by twenty plus points and get a bonus point within that for that to happen. So it's pretty unlikely. The matches on the weekend this weekend just go on. France beat Wales thirty-two to thirty in a thriller. Ireland smashed England 32 to 18. And some of those 18 points were just constellations right near the end. And Scotland decimated Italy 52 to 10. So, particularly get involved with that Ireland England match because there's nothing better than watching England lose. <laughs> so, I heavily, I highly suggest that you go and watch that game. But that's yeah, it from the Six awesome. Nations wrap up.
0: And I think that's it for our new segment for this week. We've gone on long enough. Let's get into our round five review. <laughs>
1: Okay, brilliant. We are now going to head into our conversation about the round five review of the C- competition so far. So I'll quickly go through the ladder. So sitting in fifth place, as expected at the beginning of the round or beginning of the season, of the New South Wales Waratahs on a paltry one point. The Western Force is sitting in fourth, six points. Rebels, third, 10 points. Brumbies, second, 15 points. Reds on top with 18 points. So the first game of this weekend was the Melbourne Rebels versus the Waratahs. It was a Rebels' first home game in over a year because they had to play all of last season away from home. And they went... Up, well, they didn't. I was going to say they went down for some reason. They won 33 to 14. And really, it should be 33 nil because the Waratahs scored two late tries to make that scoreline seem a little bit more, uh, a little bit less, a little bit respectable, destructive. A little bit respectable. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Um, So let's quickly roll through the main stats for this game. So, uh, Rebels and then TARS. Rebels, three tries to two, uh, four penalty goals to none. Kick percentage success was 100 to 67%. Possession stats were 40 to 60. Rebels, TARS territory, 36 to 64 overall. Clean breaks, 10 to 14. Defenders beaten, 14 to 23. And offloads, 13 to 6. So, in many, many areas, there were a huge amount of. There was a huge opportunity for the Waratahs to be doing something with the ball, but they were just completely ineffective. They had the possession, they had the territory, but they did nothing with it. So let's get into the game. The Rebels were just far more efficient in the way in which they converted the opportunities that were presented to them.
0: Yeah, and this is something that we were... I guess this is the game this year that we were hoping to see some improvement from the Waratahs. They're coming off a bye. They came off their first loss at home against the Western Force, which we were really hoping that they would probably have won. That was the one game this year that we were hopeful that they may be able to get the victory, and they were in the prime seat to do that and then lost it at the end. Um, But for me, we didn't see any improvement across the board at all. And there's some really interesting, I guess, tactical decisions that came up for the Waratahs as well around just their
1: kicking stats and who was actually taking those, those shots. Harrison must be injured. It must be an injury, and that's why he's not take like a, a lower leg muscular injury. I think one of the commentators was so guessing. yeah. One
0: one of the commentators did mention that it was a, a higher hip, actually a higher oh, hip high strain. Hip. Okay, sorry,
1: which wasn't affecting his ability to play or to
0: run straight, but they weren't comfortable with him kicking. Now the issue that it now arises again with the Waratahs is there's no succession plan there. So we know that Will Harrison is up there with the one of the better kickers in the competition for his kick percentage. He's the best, he's the best. yeah. Is, is he better? I don't know stats-wise if he's better than Matt Tamu
1: at the moment, but... Um, uh, yeah, Tamu was at 91% at the beginning okay. of this game. I think if we take it over the last two seasons, Harrison is better.
0: Okay, so Harrison is up there as the best kicker in Australian Super Rugby at the moment. But there's no. It appears in the Waratahs team that there's no backup plan. Now Tane Edmed came on in the second half, who was Harrison's replacement, and kicked a few good shots at goal. We saw last week that he also missed a few uh, points at goal as well. But um, this week we had Jack Maddox was kicking off, kicking in play and also kicking for goal. And he looked very uncomfortable in both of those situations. The first kickoff, he kicked it out on the full and didn't even go 10. Uh, like there was that? anything uh. worse that he could have done. Now it goes your, back your, to...
1: Your, your confidence player takes the first kick, kicks it out on the full. Well, there he goes for the game. <laughs> well, we're done. That's it. I'm turning it off. No,
0: <laughs> But there's no planning there. Like there's clearly no one who is capable of taking shots of golf. Harrison's not, not playing. And... It just
1: puzzles. Well, if, if, if he is playing, but he's not kicking, because if it's Ed Med, he can take the kicks, and he's all right. He's not great, but he's all right.
0: Well, but that's poor planning in, in of itself, isn't it? That if the backup kicker is also the replacement for the kicker, so in this situation, Harrison's kick is playing but not kicking, and yeah. we've got no one. Like, surely one of the wingers could have a better shot. Like some of the the kicks that. Uh, Maddox was going for weren't particularly hard and yet he still was nowhere close to the posts.
1: He was shanking them badly. Um, but why don't we why don't we just step away from that and just say, well, the question that we had that we were going to talk about was did we see any improvement from this TARS team? And I think we start with this. We talk about it for a little bit, mm-hmm. um, which will inevitably go for a bit longer than we mean by a little bit. And then we shift across and put a lot of focus on the positives that the Rebels brought to this game because yep. they did but i think let's just get let's just rip the it off talk about how bad the tars were get that done and then go through all the positives that the rebels brought to the game as well how does that sound
0: sounds good where are we going to start
1: oh, um i think we start with the defensive issues that we saw so there's a couple of things i wanted to bring up around i if you just start with Matty Tamua's try. Okay, cool. Great try. Nice chip. Lucky bounce. It came straight back into him and no longer need a while. So he just couldn't get it because of a wicked bounce. But the gap that is in the defensive line is disgraceful at a super rugby level. Okay. So what basically happens is there's a, there's, there's a ruck center field. The ball goes left. Tamua sees absolutely nothing, nothing at all is happening. So he cuts it back inside and then just runs at the exact same space where the previous ruck was. Right now, Carlo Tozano had pillar. been at the bottom of the rock. No, he'd been at the bottom of the rock. He was on the ground. Okay. So he's still getting up as, um, as Tamua runs back past him, but it was cared and it was, I'm just having a mental blank for the hooker's name, run on hooker, Ricky. help me, help me. Parecki, Dave Um, So Pareki, if you actually watch it, and I freeze framed it because I was like, how the hell did, how, why was there that hole? And you watch it, Pareki starts to run behind the defensive line to track where the play starts to go as Tamua is cutting down to the left, yeah. right, or the bottom of the field. But then when Tamua steps and comes back inside, he just doesn't respond to that change of direction (laughs) and so it's his lack of placement and he's meant to be connected with Sam Ked who's kind of on the far side of the gap and so Ked either doesn't look and realize that there's about a four meter gap between him and the next player and just kind of stands and lets him like watches Tamua run past him Yep. So okay. it's a lack of urgency from Ked, it's a lack of urgency from Parecki, and that's just really disappointing, particularly from Parecki, because I've been super impressed with him since this season. Like, if there's one player that's actually been pretty decent, um, probably Harry Johnson-Holmes and Dave Parecki would be the two that I'd be putting up there. Um so that was that. And the final thing I'll say about defensive issues, too many stupid basic penalties just given away for things that like, sh- you shouldn't be giving penalties away for. Coach killers, things like rolling away, not showing the urgency to roll the way when the opposition trying to place the ball. Uh, not getting your body height low enough so you're getting a high shot, um, getting a high shot. It's just basic things that you can fix that they weren't doing. And you would have thought that those are the things that you fix over the break when you've had the bye. And they didn't. So what were they doing? I don't know. So that's my little rant. Do you want to have a rant and then yeah, and move they, off
0: the they, um, We've seen from the last few weeks that the Melbourne Rebels will take the points when they're on offer. So the Rebels kicked yep. four penalty goals in this game. And I, most of those came in the first half. I think one, um, Reese Hodge kicked one in the second half. But the Waratahs as a team should know that when they're in their D, in their um, red zone, in their own 22 or in their own half even, they need to be disciplined. Half, they need yeah. to be rolling away as... Or setting those pitches to the referee that they're making an effort and they weren't doing that. There were so many times where we could see that the Melbourne rebels would go to ground. They have quick ruck ball, but they would even, they'd be rolling themselves out of the way because the ref was telling them to get out of the way, but they were doing what he was saying and making an effort. The war Tars just had no urgency around that at all. And so then they were giving away these silly penalties that were then just letting the rebels bunny hop down the field to a point where they could take a shot at goal and keep that scoreboard ticking over. So it's there's a lack of awareness or game plan around that as well that's really been worrying me in the last few weeks. It, leadership, I don't know if it's there. These guys are young. Communication again, I don't know. It's just there's so many different things going wrong in this Waratahs team at the moment that there's not, I don't know where to put my hand on which one's most important because they're all coming together and they're all just resulting in this really sort of average performance. Um, yeah. If we look at their attack, you mentioned their defense was questionable. I thought that their de- attack was as equally um, dumbfounding as their defense. So there was a lot of times where the Waratahs were an attack, but they had their basically their whole forward pack just bunched up behind the ruck. They were either yep. um, trucking on, waiting for a pick and drive, but they weren't setting in pods. Um, on either side mm-hmm. to give mm-hmm. the defensive um team some kind of doubt of which way they were going they all just kind of meandered up the field as a scrum pick the ball up get tackled and then each person would sort of do it and then one or two plays would then commit to the breakdown but they were just there as a as a mob and it didn't it was wasn't effective like it was so obvious what they were going to do they never once looked like putting it down the back line they just kept it in that sort of def- that attacking muck in the midfield. And it, it was uninspiring. It was so easy to see what was happening. And if it wasn't for those two breakout tries at the end of the game, they did not look like scoring points at all.
1: Yeah. I actually think that the um, two tries really aren't a reflection of the game, that the Rebels dominated and controlled it so much. that They actually deserved to keep the Waratahs winless in my uh, scoreless, in my opinion. Well, they probably um, should have. They were good enough too. But at yep. the same
0: time, they also needed to rest some of those players. So Matt Tamua came off in the 50th minute, which I was really surprised by. He played very well up until that point. But I guess at that the game was well and truly out of reach by the Waratahs at that point. They didn't look like scoring any points. They started to use their bench more effectively and get players on to get game time. Yep. And I guess some of the Waratahs players that did come on in, in a bit of a hopeful look looked okay. I don't know if they were good enough to start, particularly against the Reds this weekend, but some of those players that did come on seemed to have a little bit more um, go forward. So Sam Wikes played his first game for the Waratahs. He had some good runs, made some good breaks up through the middle, um, through the breakdown. I was impressed with um, McDonald. I think his name is, is the replacement halfback came on and was quite up tempo. Yeah. Um, set up that set, that last try for Maddox really well. So yeah, there's some questions there around selections and things. Faketi looked very good when he came on. We know from speaking to Will Harrison earlier in the year that he's come back from quite a, a lengthy um, injury from the sideline. So it'd be interesting to see if um, Penny does go with start with uh, Faketi over Moera next week in the centres or um, shifts potentially even ends up shifting the captain out to the wing and because we will have a um, Isaiah back as Parisi as well. So some interesting questions there for new South Wales around what happens next week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Why don't we shift across to the rebels yeah. now and look at some of the things they did fantastically. Um, now, one of the interesting stats that popped up during the game was that out of the rebels previous in super rugby AU this year, out of the visits to the opposition 22, they did not score a point 68% of the time, right? Now, that was really interesting to me because I'm like, they've scored a fair few points this season. How how are they not scoring when they get into the opposition 22? And then it made me think, actually, the majority of their point scoring opportunities haven't been occurring within the 22 because they've been taking so many penalties when they're on offer and inevitably those are outside the 22. Well, often, those are outside the 22. And actually, a large number of their tries have been fantastic backline plays or opportunistic tries where they've broken out from like a mid- midfield play. And so you look at Lockie Anderson's try, you look at Matty Tamua's try, both of them came and were initiated outside the 22. So it makes me think that the Rebels have actually got a really... Previously, we used to assume that they were a bit of a forward-dominated team, that the forwards were really hardworking, they were really combative... And the backline never really gelled particularly well, except for maybe Corabetti would do something brilliant now and then. But now it seems like they have a bit more of a balance in their attacking play. And the thing that I'm really liking about it is that they're trusting some of their players to play with a bit more confidence and a bit more... uh, Influence. So a great example of that is on the Lockie Anderson try. Mm-hmm. Uh, what that basically came from is Pony Farmacilli running a fantastic line, receiving the ball and drawing two defenders onto him. So he draws uh, Tizano and Moera. Moera should not have bit in on him, but he did. And then all Pony did was, as he got the ball. He's drawn those two players. He's turned, popped it at the back, and then the Rebels have an overlap, which they exploit perfectly and score the try from. And all that came from number one, Pony Falmasilli being a dangerous ball runner and Moira biting in on him because he thought he should be to take him out. But then Falmasilli, who I haven't always rated as having much technical ability, <laughs> power, um, combativeness everything strength like he's got all that without a shadow of doubt but this one play made me go ah okay that's really cool to see him have this other Mm -hmm. element to his game and so i was just really impressed with the rebels that they're able to pull off these sort of moves and to trust some of the players or uh, for those players to then have the ability to pull it off when i hadn't seen that previously
0: yeah. And the other um, point around that try was the back line was so eager to score points that there was three or four players that were on the ball by the time that he made, he crossed the line. So Ponies yep. did set it up perfectly, but there was three or four options there for the rebels to get the ball over the line. Um, the Waratahs, in reverse of that, when they make a break, very often the player goes to ground and there's no one there, particularly, you know, backs to support or to to get an offload to. So again, it's great to see that the rebels are that hungry to score points that they're just basically on top of each other when it comes really close to the line.
1: Yeah, I was um oh, look, there's just a lot of good stuff you've got to be liking from the rebels here. And I'm just enjoying that they are they seem to be this season stepping up from where they have been previously. Yeah, It's like they're playing with a lot more freedom, a lot more confidence. Uh, I think maybe we would have seen some of this last year if they hadn't been forced to play interstate the entire time. Yeah, well, they, they, looked, home.
0: they look so um, happy to be home, to be playing in front of the home mm-hmm. fans again in that that was sort of typified for me when Jordan Ulessi scored that try in the 67th minute off the back of a mall. It looked like he'd scored either his first or his last ever try. He was that excited. He was just going nuts. And by that point, the, the game was well and truly beyond doubt. So um, it just goes to show that these guys are really happy to be representing Melbourne and also be playing in Melbourne again, which I think was awesome yep. to see. Um, do we yeah. want to move across now to our honourable mentions for this game?
1: Yeah, cool. Uh, why don't you jump in first?
0: All right. My honourable mention goes to Marika Korobete and I can't, um, you can't really name anyone. I, I guess Matt Tamua played very well for the Rebels this week, but Korobete just keeps showing up everywhere in this game. Um, one thing that I found myself thinking as I was watching his performance, particularly when he's coming off his wing and popping up in the midfield, why are they not playing him at centre? He wants to have that much involvement coming off his wing and, and running the ball in the midfield. Why don't they just shift him to the centers and see if that works? He's definitely I got just the. Wonder um, if, if he can't pass. Well, he's got the offload. He may not have the pass, but he's got the
1: offload. I don't True, know. I Maybe, guess if Reese Hodge can be a center, then Marika Corabetti can.
0: I just feel like. It, defend, defensively, it must be hard for them when he comes looking for the ball so often then they have to drop a player out of their back line to cover that wing position. If he's going looking for the ball so often in the midfield, why don't they just try setting him up in the centres and then he's, just, he's there. He's got that space and he's got that one-on-one ability and he can bust through. I don't know. I mean, he's obviously a very skillful winger. It's where he played all of his rugby for the Rebels and for the Melbourne Storm. So, I understand why he's playing there, but just this year particularly, he's getting a lot more touches in the midfield than we have seen in the past because he's going looking for the ball so often. I just wonder why we're not seeing that kind of midfield
1: shift. I wonder if it's because defensively, it means you're almost always going to have two people tackling him. Um, that they've got more opportunity to double up on marking him. Whereas when he's out wide, usually he can get into a one-on-one situation or he's against smaller players that he can at least get the arms through and then look for that little offload like you were mentioning. I wonder if that's a part of it.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just I just thought to myself as I was watching him. But yeah, again, this game, he was showing up everywhere. He was making massive runs um, and he was, just, he was on fire. Again, he's had a really good form this year. But I guess he also yep. needs to be doing that with the Reds, the wingers that are currently sort of... Playing the house down up in Queensland, so Vunivalu is playing very well, and so is um, Dalgunu. So he's got some competition on it, on his hands for spots. So I think that's why he's going looking for the ball a lot more.
1: Mate, Marika Corobetti is the first name you put on a team sheet when you're choosing the Wallabies. Like the other players are okay, but there is no way in heck that Dalgunu or Vunavalu are ahead of Corobetti in a Wallabies. Oh, definitely not. Order. I mean, if
0: you're looking at his stats for this game alone, he made 14 runs for 71 meters made. I mean, that's that's, that's massive. Yep. That is massive. If you look at yep. Mark Nwanganuwasi as comparison, he made 13 runs for 61 meters.
1: Yep. So. Yep. And that's from fullback as opposed to being from wing. Yeah. Um, anyway. A lot more room. Anyway, so my player I'd be putting forward is Matty Tamua. Um, I was thinking of picking Richard Hardwick, but I really just can't go past the form of Matt Tamua at the moment. He is just playing with a maturity that you would be hoping he would be playing with. Like he's living up to the hype, you know? We've always known he's this test quality player. Uh, Some people rate him as up there within the world's best, number 12s particularly. And so he's kind of playing out of position as a number 10. But he's just playing with a confidence and assuredness that puts me with a bit more hope for our 10-12 combinations for the Wallabies later in the year. It'll be an interesting choice to see if they go for um, James O'Connor or Mari Tamua for number 10. For the um, Warbies. I don't know which I
0: don't know which way they'll go at the moment, but um, both of the both of the guys are playing some really good rugby, so
1: they really are. Yep. I'm
0: glad I'm not sitting on that coaching panel at the moment.
1: <laughs> now, one thing I'm just going to quickly say, guys, um, we will have by the time this comes to air, we'll have made the correction, but I accidentally read out the wrong stats for this game earlier on within the pod. So, one of the points that I just wanted to make was the possession stat was actually forty to sixty Rebels then Waratahs, so Waratahs have sixty possession and the waratahs had 64 percent possession so that just goes to show you how like we were saying before how clinical the rebels are actually being within this uh, were within this game and how whenever they get into the opposition half they were just making the most of their opportunities their efficiency ratings must be off the charts for this game
0: Yeah, I mean, even if in the second half we broke that down even further, the Rebels only had uh, 29% territory in the second half, 33% possession. So, very much so that they knew the game was won by that point. They were up 23 0 at halftime. So, they were willing, they were happy to just kick the ball to the Waratahs and let them kind of fumble their way up the field and knock it on or turn it over in in an easy contest or whatever, give a penalty away. So, um, yeah, interesting to see that they were so willing to let the Waratahs run at them and still the Waratahs only scored those two tries very freakishly at the very end of the game.
1: I um, Basically, I'm really, really liking what the Rebels are putting forward this year. And I know that's not a deep analytical comment, but I'm yeah. just enjoying their improvement. I'm enjoying the fact that we have this quality third team that is playing some good quality rugby with a clearly defined game plan and they're doing their best to execute it every week. And I'm not sure I'm seeing that same level of game plan or execution from the Western Force, despite the improvement they showed this week as well. And the Waratahs are just a shambles. So it's really good that we have three really strong teams and the Force are improving quite well too. So it's, it's been a really good competition so far. It is. It has. And it's so good to
0: see. I mean, we've been quite harsh on the Rebels in the last few years that they've got this, this game, this team that, on paper, should be doing a lot better than they really have been in the games. But this year, it's all starting to click and they're starting to perform really well. They've got a good game plan. They're taking points when they're on offer. They're keeping close to all their opposition. Um, and they're really, if we, if we look at where they're sitting now, going into the second half of the competition, they're in the box seat to take out that third spot. Yep.
1: yep. Okay. Are you happy if we move to the Reds' force? Oh, definitely. Let's go. Okay, let's go to the Reds' force. So, the Reds' force game was played on Saturday night. The Reds got up 26-19 against the Western Force. Uh, I think most people predicted a Queensland Reds win, but I don't think as that many people would have predicted how close this game was. Uh, it was really only the... I mean, Jock Campbell scored the final try in the 67th minute, and there was no point scored after O'Connor's conversion of that try, but it was very, very tense. And there were only one try ahead and there were a few opportunities that the force had late in the game to at least force the tie and force extra time. Um, but they weren't able to get it. unfortunately for them. So let me quickly run through some of the key stats and I promise you, I've got the right stats in front of me <laughs> now. So <laughs> how good. Uh, so try scored, uh, had four tries to one, uh, to the Reds. Four penalty goals. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm assuming people would understand that part. Uh, and then zero penalty goals to the Reds, four penalties to the force. Possession was 42-58. Then territory was 43-57. With penalties conceded, Reds conceding 15 penalties, which is really significant. Um, to the seven from the force. Uh, Scrums and lineouts were fairly even, although the Reds lineout was only 81%. Uh, Defenders Baden was massive. uh, Clean breaks was a massive 12 to three Reds force and Defenders Baden was 25 to 11, 13 offloads to three. So the Reds definitely had far more of an attacking game, but they just let themselves down on a penalty count. So do you think, Mitch, will the Reds, or the Force be happiest with his performance?
0: I don't think either team really is going to be happy with his performance. The Reds, whilst being in the sort of the driving seat of this game, really allowed the Western Force back a number of times yeah. and let them yeah. get a lot closer to them than they were really hoping. So the Western Force actually took the lead in the 50th minute. Um, but in that first half, they, they looked quite dominant both teams looked like they really weren't comfortable with what they were doing. Um, the Reds were scoring some good tries, but the Western force just kept kicking those penalties and staying within, within striking range of them. So on the one hand, I guess the Western force can be happy that they did come close, but I think they'd be kicking themselves at the end there that they weren't able to convert that last try that they had about four or five phases um, in the Reds 22 going at the line and, um, Brandon Pangramosa was able to, to get the turnover. So for them, I don't think they were happy that they they let the game slip. But at the same time, the Queensland Reds won't be happy that they let the Western Force come so close. I think they were yeah. probably expecting to get themselves a bonus point um, win in this, comp- in this game um, to really set
1: themselves up in the second half of the competition, which they weren't able to do. I think the Monday morning review for the Force will show some really pleasing improvements within their attacking structures but obviously they're not going to be happy because they didn't come away with the the from this game um the reds can at least take the fact that they won the game and got the points as their kind of take home and then have some really honest work on for them to be improving on but the thing that really uh made me kind of pay a bit more notice to the force was that they were really varying their attacking shape more than i've seen them do in the past Mm -hmm. so at times, the force have been really guilty of playing just one-out rugby, and it's not particularly inventive, it's not particularly exciting, and it doesn't break open opposition defences effectively at all. But what happened, particularly for Kaitu's try in the 19th minute, was there was... A really good variance in attack. Um, McIntyre gives a nice, oh no, it goes from Cubelli, but instead of going to McIntyre as the first receiver it goes to Kahui and then Kahui does a, a cutout ball skips like two people then there's an offload and then there's another offload and tackle and then eventually the forward power gets 2 over the line. Now previously we probably would have seen um, the fly half be it John Lance or in this case Mc- McIntyre just give the one out player, one out pass to the next pot of forwards. They just crash it up, recycle. Next player out, one side. Maybe double back, maybe go short side. But you just wouldn't see any particularly interesting variants. And this, having Kahui come into that first receiver role to help out, was and he was playing as winger. This game was really, really good. And I wonder if they shipped him to winger so that he could inject himself without having to worry about the attacking structure as much when he saw an opportunity come up. Yeah, and now this game, I was really happy to see that the force were actually starting to click for the
0: first time. And It's something that we've spoken about in the last few weeks. They have this team of really talented players, but they just don't have that cohesion factor yet that they weren't able to really finish off some of the breaks that they make or um, convert some of the points that they were potentially setting up because they didn't really trust the inside man with the offload or um, that communication. but this week they just seemed everything seemed to be clicking for them and the ball was really easily moving along the bat line. Um, the front pa- the front row was matching it with the Queensland Reds. There was a few times where yeah. they actually pushed them off the ball and got some um, penalties as well. So across the park, I was really impressed with this Western Force outfit. They were really matching it with the Queensland Reds. I know in our preview last week, you we were expecting the Reds to come away with this quite easily. Um, and we had doubts around whether the Western Force could score points and that attack hadn't been at that level required at this in this competition to date. But this, this game really sort of showed a
1: new light on that. Yeah, and I think that, A big part of that was down to the quality that the force brought, but just uncharacteristic poor discipline from the Reds as well. So there were, like we mentioned before, a relatively high penalty count for the game. And they just seemed to be giving away silly penalties, which allowed the force to have much more opportunities for for territory. But then as a result of that, they took... The opportunities to kick sticks and that's something that they haven't done previously often they'll be a little bit hot-headed and if they're in opposition 22 they're applying or opposition half and they get a penalty that they've, they've got the ascendancy they've got some mythical or ethereal momentum they'll go for the line out option and inevitably bottle it and then come away with nothing but this time they took the points on offer. And McIntyre came away with a perfect kick percentage. He slotted every opportunity that was in front of him. So that was really, really positive. It's really interesting to notice that it seems like kickers either have really good games or really bad games at the moment in Super Rugby AU. They either kick nearly every single thing and get like 90 to 100% accuracy or they miss nearly every single shot. So it's, it's, it's a fun one to notice. But McIntyre was actually really, really good tonight.
0: Yeah, and I was really impressed with McIntyre. We were a bit harsh with him last week. Um, he made a few fundamental errors that really ended up costing the team quite dearly um, in their ability to see out the, the, West, uh, the Rebel, Melbourne Rebels. But this week, I, I don't know if he was listening to the podcast or what it was, um, but he was really performing a lot better. So it was unfortunate to see him come up, come away with that knee injury in the in the end of the game and hopefully we don't he doesn't have too much time on the sidelines and he's okay to play in, for the next few weeks but um, yeah it, it, he was he was performing really well for me. Yeah, great. Now let's talk about the Reds. Were you I were, I guess the question around this one is are, were you impressed or were you surprised
1: with this Reds outfit this week? Uh, I was a little bit surprised in that I didn't think they'd play that poorly. Yeah, I think that they let the re- they let the force really disrupt their style of play. But at the same time, they won whilst playing poorly, and, and they scored that is something four tries. The Reds, and they scored four tries, and it's something that the Reds are not always known for that some, it's a quality we often see from the Brumbies is that even when you have a bad game you can still get the win and here the Reds have demonstrated that uh, plus you had some really good moments from some of their players so Paisami had an absolutely brilliant game he was fantastic Uh Vunavalu scored a fantastic well Campbell scored the try from a fantastic Vunivalu break Vunivalu break he the, the fend that he did on um Jake McGregor uh, Jack yeah, McGregor, yeah. who was coming across to defend him. He just like stiff arms him and throws him off. It just showed you the strength that Vinavali has. And I, I was pretty critical of him last week. I didn't think he was great. I don't think he's been particularly good so far this season. But in this game, he was very good. And I was really, really impressed with that. Um, They were really unlucky to not have a couple more tries, actually. I thought the Fraser McWright offside call was a bit dodgy Uh, technically letter of the law is correct, but the amount of times you see Marika Korabetti pick the ball up from the ruck and just scoot through that gap. And there are other people at the ruck as well. And he's not the last one. I'm just like, Oh, come on, man. I think the difference in this instance that he like
0: Marika Korobedi will be at the back of the ruck and will pick the ball up and then get like dance around the side and go through a hole. Whereas um, McWright in this one, picked the ball up from an offside position and then dived over. If he
1: was at the back yeah, of the ruck, yeah, he wouldn't look, have actually oh, crossed the line. Don't get me wrong. I understand it. Yeah. And, and I get why it's called and I agree with it, but I'm also just like, man, I see that happen lots of other times and people don't call it very often. Oh, it's, so, it's, there's quite. it, it, it was, every, just, it was every just, every now and then in this competition,
0: like the Waratahs will throw a line out clearly in, in not straight and they'll pull it up, but four or five of the, The last lineouts have been not straight and it's been play on, so there's every now and then it's just they they, um, decide
1: to to penalize something. I mean, I thought that I've just always thought with the lineout. Just jump in there before you move on to your next thought. If it's if the other team doesn't compete, who cares if it's not straight? Yeah, that to me that just should be play on. Who gives a crap? If the other team does compete and it's not straight, yeah, cool, call it up. But I hate it when the other team doesn't even go up into the air and then it gets called back for the penalty. Then I'm yeah. like, nah, what's the point? You're just slowing the game down. Let, let, let the boys play. Exactly,
0: exactly, yeah. I thought the um, the Reds were lucky to get away with um, Paisami's first try in the 16th or 15th fifteenth
1: minute. For the blocking um, runner by...
0: Well, I mean, there was a few things he could have pulled up there. First of all, the ref did get in the way and he blocked the defender and the defender actually took him out completely. But I thought the the pass was forward i thought mcdermott did a forward pass in the lead up to that um but obviously it was it was all cleared by the team and they were allowed to score it so not going to take it away from them um i was really impressed with i I was impressed with the the ability of the reds to, to attack in this game they they found themselves in a lot of open space particularly in the back line which um, I think was something that the Western Force probably need to sort of tighten up a little bit. Um, they made, uh, where was it? Uh, so twenty-five defenders beaten and thirteen offloads like that. That's a lot yep. of that's a lot of line breaks right there. Um, do we have a line break stat? No, we don't. So I'm guessing that's the same. Clean stat break. this. Clean yeah, breaks. So twelve clean breaks. breaks for twenty-five defenders beaten. Um, conversely, yeah. the Western Force only made eleven. Uh, three line breaks for eleven defenders beaten. So, for me, yeah, that that was you can't give a team like the Reds that amount of space with the back the backs that they've got and the back three particularly. They're so dangerous that they've got that ability to to cross the line from really anywhere. If you're not going to be if you're going to let them get that many clean breaks against you, then you're really asking for trouble. Um, but yeah, really impressed with the Reds. Vunivalu stepped up this week. Paisami, as we mentioned, was good. Um, yeah, I, I bet at the same time, I thought the Western Force did very well to hang
1: in there. So why don't we shift across to the honorable mentions now? Um, are you okay with moving to yep. that point? Yeah, yep, yeah. Yep, yep. Cool. So my honorable mention, I think, kind of has to go to, in my opinion, Taniella Tupo. So we've mentioned him previously. He's just absolutely on fire this season. He played another 80 minutes of this game and he was still having some really key involvements near the end. Um, There was a really important turnover that happened where um, he was the one that disrupted like three rucks in a row and eventually a turnover came just because he kept throwing himself into the counter rucking. And it was just brilliant to see that he's still putting in the effort in these small areas that kind of go unnoticed. Um, and he's so powerful. I just absolutely love it. So, yeah, he's he's been really dominant. And I love the fact that he's worked on his scrum. He is now a renowned scrummager, not just a guy who's actually got a decent past, good hands. Oh, yeah, a dude who can run can it, in a in a break. In it.
0: Yeah, it makes a break. But yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, cool. That's great for the highlights reel, but do your job. And your job is to win scrums and to make sure that we're keeping possession of the ball or getting possession of the ball. And he's, he's really worked on that and is doing incredibly well this season.
0: Yeah, I, I th- I've been really impressed with Taniel Tupo. He's in career best form at the moment and um, it's going to be good to see how he progresses uh, moving on forward. I don't know if he's going to be playing 80 minutes every week moving forward, but it's good to see him. He's got that ability at the moment. Um, my honorable mention this week has to go to Hunter Paisami just because of yeah. the effects that he had on the, the game. He scored those two tries and he was very instrumental in setting up the other ones. So he made, uh, he he still did 11 passes in this game, which was quite impressive um, considering it seemed like he ran the ball a lot more, but he's definitely feeding his outside backs as well, which is good to see. I think that's something that. As a center, we've probably been, particularly for the Reds, they've been struggling with in the last few years in in that um, particularly Samu Krev, he was very good at taking on the line, but not so much in getting the ball out to his wider channels. So great to see that Hunter by Sami's doing that. But he made six runs and made 38 meters. Um, but he also had four tackles um, and was like, that's one of the highest tackle counts for the, the back line. So... I was really I mean Vladimir nine tackles so you got to say that he's still out there <laughs> <laughs> he's still out there doing good things as well but without the impact that Hunter Baisami has on this game I don't think the Reds necessi- the Reds don't win this game so yeah I agree really impressed with him again in career best form at the moment it's great to see how he's progressing and and settling into the centers and it's good that he's getting this game time because we're gonna. it's going to be needed when it gets into the, the
1: international at the end of the year. Yep. The thing I'll quickly say, because I want to keep our Force fans happy. Mm-hmm. I was really impressed with Siddharthi Tamani. Yes. I think he had a strong game. The question I have is, does he pro- not provide enough variance from um, Thrush? Is, is he that different in play style to Thrush? And so I would even consider bringing on like a uh, Sidalecki Tamani and maybe a Ryan McCauley or a Tim Anstey. Mm-hmm and having one of those just to provide a bit more variance, because I think that what McCauley and Anstey offer is a little bit more, um, a little bit more pace, a little bit more movement just before the contact. They're offering something different, but I also know that thrush does the line out calling. So they may well not want to change him from that, but I was very, very impressed. I thought that Tamani, for his first game in after just joining the team looked like he'd been a part of the system for a while and just showed a cool head Didn't make any major mistakes and did the dark, quiet stuff that you expect from your lock.
0: Yeah, good pick. Good pick.
1: All right. You happy to move on and finish up our chat about the games?
0: I am. Let's move into our locker room now and we'll answer these fan questions. All right. Let's go. All right, now to the locker room and our fan question. So, the first question comes to us from Chris Hannon on Twitter, and he asks us, is it possible for the Tars to win a game this year? Will the Reds put a complete game together as well this year?
1: Uh, no, and I'd argue that perhaps the Reds already have in the match against the Brumbies.
0: Ooh, okay.
1: So, yeah, basically, I'm not convinced that the Waratahs are going to win a game. Um, I think... They really don't have much to be working towards here. The next two games that they have are two home games versus the Reds and the Brumbies and an away match against the force. They might win the final game of the season playing at home against the rebels. Maybe, but I don't see them beating the Reds. I don't see them beating the Brumbies. I don't see them beating the force away from home. And I'm not sure I even see them beating the rebels at this point in time. So there's, I I wouldn't be surprised if they go winless in this season. Yeah, I mean, for me, I I agree. There's It's very possible that
0: the Waratahs and probable that the Waratahs probably won't win a game this year. But at the same time, I'm hopeful, being a Waratahs fan, optimistic that we get Azai Parisi back next week. We can shift Ketty back into the centres and get rid of Moera. Um, and then in a few weeks, two or three weeks, hopefully is what the Waratahs are saying, we may get Jake Gordon back as well. So if we get all those players back, we have a completely different look back line. They may have a little bit more experience there. Possibly we might be able to get one of the tighter games. I don't know. I'm hopeful. Um, I, yeah, I would agree with what you said, and around the Reds. I think their performance at the Brumbies was very, uh, very complete, and I, I've been impressed with them. This last game wasn't the best for them but they still managed to get the win. So I've been impressed with the Reds this year. I think they're doing well. Um, And yeah, I guess it's probably optimistic to hope for a complete performance from a team, but they're doing well so far. Moving to the next question comes to us from Chris Lamb on Facebook. And he says, is it just me? Or is the caterpillar at the back of the ruck creeping back into the game? I thought that there was a a concerted effort this year to remove this from the game as it is another time-wasting technique and yet saw a bit of it happening in Saturday night's Reds Force game.
1: Yeah, I'm not too bothered by it because I've watched enough English Premiership rugby to see how much it gets used there. And what we see in Super Rugby AU is nothing compared to what happens in Northern Hemisphere Rugby. So I am not particularly bothered. In the games on the week. the Reds, the um, halfback to use it, so and the repeating that call, and it it was relatively quick. I, I'm not too fussed by. It. Yeah, one thing I've seen, not so much the caterpillar ruck, but the
0: the sort of pillar post screens has been something that teams have been using. And I think that's probably a little bit more effective. Um, I I would agree with Chris, though. I don't want to see it come into the game because it does slow the game down. But the referees are trying to manage it by saying, use the ball when it's available. And I did notice that a few times on the weekend that the referees were calling the number nine to use it. So hopefully they they are aware of it and they are working on it. So hopefully we can see some improvement in the next few weeks. Um, Next question comes to us from Mitch Evans. And he says, now that we're halfway through the comp, which player has been
1: the best overall across the season so far? Uh, Matty Tamua for me. He, like, like I said earlier in the pod, he has just been classed the whole season, apart from that one kick to lose the initial game. Um, I have just been super impressed by him. He is mature. He's confident. He's playing with a level of assuredness that's really happy, pleasing to see from a player of his caliber. He he um, is strong in defense. He plays really flat against uh, when he's attacking and is happy to pass the ball right before he takes a contact to provide opportunities for the outside backs. He's got a good kicking game, good ca- tactical kicking game. And he showed that there's still a tiny bit of pace in those old legs <laughs> yet over the weekend. So I think, in my opinion, he's been the best overall. Well, you've gone with the back, so I'll stick with the forward, and I've got to go with Atupo.
0: Yeah. Um. Yep. Not only is he scrummaging, getting better and better every week, but he's playing big minutes, and he's still having impacts in those later half- halves of the game, so... Uh, he's just a weapon at the moment. He's got the ability to, to truck the ball up in the middle but also to win you a penalty in the scrum and that's exactly what you want. So he's setting a great platform and he's just improving on his performance from the last few years. So I've got, I can't go past Taneil Tupo. Next question comes to us from Jason Breeze, and he asks, what can the Waratahs do to see some minor improvements? Also, I was impressed with Penny and his comments about protecting his squad. It's clear he backs the team and cares about their mental health. The Tarzan fans should really support him.
1: Yeah, and I think that if there are any knee-jerk reactions and they try and get rid of Penny in the next week or two, then like I will just earn my Waratahs membership because it's just would be the dumbest decision (laughs) um they he's in a situation of the Waratahs creation it's not his fault that the team is where they're at from a play or roster management point of view um I think that the Waratahs just need to focus on number one defensive integrity so they, I would recommend that they try as much as possible to pick and stick with the same team week in, week out, which is basically what we've been seeing from at least the starting 15. Um, and then also provide just a little bit more variation or variance in the forward attacking style. So there are a couple of times where we were trying to do some pick and drives in the um, opposition 22. And it just became boring one-out hit-ups where there weren't any attempts to try and do these little... So like, you know how you get the the... the forward pods of three, you pass yep. the ball to the forward pod, He, the, the forward player in that pod of three, he crashes the ball up, then he got two supporting players to clear it out. Well, so much of what I've seen in quality forward play is when that initial receiver in that pod has the capacity to do a little pop pass inside or a little pop pass outside at the point of contact to then get his teammate over that advantage line. And then the third guy who hasn't been involved yet can then be responsible for clearing out and securing possession. I think that the Waratahs just need to, one, secure, the, uh, get the defensive system in place more so we don't have any horrific things with Parecki and um, Ked that we saw previously. <laughs> but then two, make sure that the forwards are just trying to provide a little bit more variance in their attack uh, when they're playing that one or two pass out rugby. Because at the moment it's too simple, it's too obvious. And it means that players like your Harrisons and Noanganita Wase and maddox just aren't getting time to actually do anything. Um they're they're not playing with any forward momentum. You saw at the tail end of the game if they get a half chance, they they can try and make something from it. Uh but the forwards just aren't giving them a platform that they need.
0: I've got two Two points on either side of the, the, the coin here. So what can the Waratahs do to see some minor improvements? Now, I've got a point for on the field and a point for off the field. So if we look at on the field things, I just think the Waratahs need to go back to basics and we need to simplify our game plan. We're trying to play an up-tempo, fast, high-rate game, but we don't have the skill set for it. These guys are getting a little bit overawed by the scoreline that's getting ahead of them. Um, res- that's resulting in their skill set dropping away. So I think what they just need to do is go back to basics, get the passes to stick, keep your ball, keep the, the ruck moving, um, and then just not try and push the pass so much. If we can just take things a step back, I think that's where this this team's currently at. Penny's got a great style of wanting to play kind of like a Crusaders high-tempo um. Up, upbeat type of game, but the players just don't seem capable of that at the moment. So I would suggest that we need to just probably cater our game plan to the players that we've got and the skill set that we currently have. The other side of that is around the, the fans and the engagement. The Waratahs at the moment are so low that they need to be engaging even more with the community. They need to be getting out there and talking to kids after the game. They need to be popping up to trainings because – people aren't switching in to watch these guys play because they're going to play well. That's not going to happen. What they need to be doing, (laughs) (laughs) what they need to be doing is creating those connections in the community so that the, the families that do go out to see them play next week at ANZ, um, can talk to the guys after the game and go, Oh, Will Harrison, he's actually a really nice bloke. Or, um, you know, Harry Johnson Holmes. I saw him on rugby heaven. He can sing. He's a great, great guy. had a chat with him after the game. He's really cool. I'll just tune in next week because I want to see how he goes. And that's what they need to be doing. Getting up the chain, up the tunnel, into the change room, 10, 15 minutes after the full time whistle's blown, is not going to help at the moment. It's not creating engagement in the community. People are going to fall away. So I agree with what you're saying, and he wants to protect the players and the squad and their mental health. And we as fans need to stick with him and the team. But they also need to show some love
1: back to us as well. Yep, I um I wore my Waratahs um. A jacket to church this morning because it helped keep the rain off and as i got in one of my mates who i know used to be a waratah's fan a uh, member what, two seasons ago said what are you wearing that for what are they none out of four and i was like yeah mate it's going well very keen and he's like why are you even oh why do you even pay for a membership this season i was like because I want to cheer them on, and I've had the opportunity to chat with a few of them. And they're good guys so I want to get there, and it's like, ah. So it's that exact point. He obviously doesn't have that connection yeah. in, and knows that the Waratahs are finding it really, really tough at the moment. That he just doesn't, he doesn't have that connection anymore. But if he knew some of the players, if he'd had, if he'd, if his young kid who's about ten or something like that had opportunity to go to a training day and meet some of them, or to go out to the game and get his jersey signed after the match by the players, and it would be different. I feel like that conversation would be different. And those are the types of conversations that matter. So And it's just not you. happening at the moment. Of- it's just not there. There's no, we yep. don't see these players. They play the game.
0: They disappear. They train all week by themselves. I get that there's a COVID bubble and that kind of thing, but this is the time when they're at their lowest as a club. There's talks about this being the most inexperienced team ever for the Waratahs and the worst performing team ever. They need to then be engaging with their community because if they start shunning fans now and fans completely turn away, we're gonna, it's gonna take them 10, 15 years to get back to the level that we were in 2014, not just on the field, but off the field as well. Yep, I agree. I agree. Um, We've spoken enough about that. So great question, Jason. Thanks for sending that in. We love to talk about the Tars. Um, Last one comes to us from Tim Foster and he asks, a little bit tongue in cheek with this one. So we'll see what you say with the answer, Ando. With the Brumbies, the older team in the comp and injuries as it is, is it fair to say that
1: the Reds are the new crusaders of Super Rugby AU? No, because they haven't <laughs> done it consistently. They haven't won anything. I'll just remind everybody, Mitchell, that they have not won anything yet. And you're so talking to Mitch not- Evans here, not me, right? I'm talking to both of you, mate. You're both a red supporter now. Oh. Um, <laughs> last week you were anyway anyway uh no definitely not because i haven't won anything and if you want to have that idea of being a of having a dynasty then there needs to be some level of succession or, or that some level of success over time and they're on the right track they may well go there but they're not there yet
0: Cool. Well answered. All right. Let's. Um, we've been talking for a while, so let's get into our picks for next week. Yep. We won't do this another segment. Let's just run into it. So the first game of round six sees the Brumbies hosting the Force in at GIO Stadium in Canberra. Which way do you see this game going, Ando?
1: Brumbies by I would say a lot, but the problem is the front row, and I'm really worried that the front row for the Brumbies is going to struggle coming up. Actually, against quite a good. Before um the force pack is nothing to be laughed at yep. and so i wouldn't i mean the fact that they won a few penalties against the feed against the reds is massive and it wasn't even the reds like second string front row or second string pack it was their it was their uh, starting team so i think it's going to be closer i don't think it'll be a blowout so i'm going to go Brumbies by about 15. oh okay cool
0: this is a hard one for me to pick, only because I don't know where the Brumbies are in their development or their um, progression to the next game. They've had a bye this last week, and I haven't heard a lot around which players are injured and out for a long time and which players are coming back. We know that Alan Alatoa does still have a two-game suspension to see. So yeah, if they if they aren't able to bring their their sort of wallaby level front row back to this game. I can see them having some real issues. They will have for finger. I don't know whether Scott Sear
1: will be. No, ready. he won't. He's, so Scott uh, he's out. injured ligaments in his elbow.
0: Okay. So Scott Sier is out again. So yeah, I mean, yep. it's going to be a big ask. Um, it's going to be a big ask for the force to come to Canberra and upset the current super rugby, AU champions, but it could happen. But I, I still, I can't, i got a pick with my head and I can't go against the Brumbies at the moment. So I'm going to go with the Brumbies, but I'm only going to go by 10. Yeah, okay. That makes um, sense. That makes next sense. game, home game for the Waratahs out at Stadium Australia. Waratahs hosting the Reds. It is heritage round. So the Waratahs are donning their heritage outfits or jerseys for this one. And I haven't heard if the Reds are doing something similar or not, but Ando, which way do you see this game going?
1: I think it's going to be Reds by a cricket score, mate. Um, I'm really concerned about this game, that they're going to want some level of retribution for what happened uh, the last time the Reds came down to Sydney. Um, it's I don't think it's going to go well. So uh, I'll be out of the game. Are you able to come to this one? Was this the yeah, one you I'll, can't come to?
0: No, I'll be there. I'll be there for this one. I, I'm yeah, At sweet. the moment, I'm sitting here thinking whether I bring my Reds jersey or my Waratahs jersey. Maybe <laughs> both, both. and just change.
1: <laughs> and change
0: after five, 10 minutes because we'll probably be down by 50 points by that point.
1: Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> um, I'm picking the Reds by about 25, let's say.
0: Oh, I thought you were going for a cricket score. Um,
1: yeah, look, that's me trying to be conservative. Reds 25? So, yep.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, look, uh, there's big questions around this Waratahs team at the moment. We've got, this is the game that Azar Parisi is back and able to play for us. I don't know whether Rob Penny brings him into the starting lineup or he shifts and plays around for keddy starts. I don't know. It's hard to say it on a Sunday night prior to just yeah, after no, the we don't see finished. The we teams, don't know what's we happening. We don't see the injuries. Yeah, there's talks that um, Angus Bell's been out for a little bit longer than initially expected, so I don't know. But at the same time, this Reds team is just red hot and on fire at the moment, and I really don't see the Waratahs being able to match them, even on their best day, being able to match a red side and put 40 points on them like we did this time last year. So I'm going to stick with the Reds. I just I feel like this is going to be a cricket score, so I'm going to have to say Reds by 40.
1: Oh, I just don't see it going. I just don't see it going any other way. I really don't. Sure. All right. Uh, Let's now shift across to the New Zealand comp. Um, So the Highlanders versus the Hurricanes. So the Canes are coming off the back of a 29-35 defeat to the Chiefs. Congratulations, Chiefs, on getting your first win in two years or a year and a half. Um, That's a good thing. (laughs) So So they're now going better than us? Yeah, they are. Um, Oh, no, we won a game last season. Thank you. Um, And then the Blues and the Satyrs uh, was 27-43 to the Crusaders. But if we actually just stick with the games that are coming up this weekend, Highlanders versus the Hurricanes. Who's your pick? Yeah, I really, I've been impressed with the Highlanders this year. They've got
0: some good guys coming through and um, their wingers are performing quite well. Hurricanes are coming off a defeat at home, which they will not be happy about. And they were in it right up until the very end. But... I think the Highlanders uh, are just going to be too good for the Hurricanes at this point, so I'm going to stick with the Highlanders.
1: Okay, great. i was going to pick them as well. And then Chiefs versus Blues. I got Blues.
0: Yeah, you can't go past the Blues at the moment. Yes, the Chiefs came off their first victory this week, but this Blues side pushed the Crusaders as far as they could, but it's still a very, very classy outfit, so you
1: can't go past them either. All right, mate. That's it. We've done everything. Thank you, everybody, for staying with us until this point. Um, It was a lot of fun talking about some pretty great games, and hopefully we sparked some conversations amongst you and your mates. So please feel free to get in touch on our social media platforms and continue that conversation. We would love to hear from you. We love engaging with our community.
0: Yep, definitely. And hopefully we didn't talk too much about the Waratahs this week.
1: (laughs) We try not to. But it's pretty hard to not when you have two Waratahs fans and there's so much t- bad to talk about and to try and unpack and then the and questions, figure out the reason just why.
0: Ask questions of the Waratahs as well, which is great. So, they know, <laughs> what, they know what we're good
1: at talking about. So, that's great. Wonderful. All right. All the best, team, and have a wonderful week. We'll catch you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>